Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Welcome back, everyone. Paul, how are you doing this week? Doing well. Back on the East Coast. You know, we're recording this the morning of the Super Bowl, so no spoilers here because we don't know what's going to happen. It's not scripted. But we flew back from L.A. Saturday. And actually, this is like a little pro tip. The day before the Super Bowl is a great day to fly. Like, the, no the plane one's going is completely anywhere. empty. Really? Yeah, I guess people might be going to Vegas. But yeah, most people are probably already there if they're going to go. A lot of people are not traveling. Uh, a lot of people are also not going to movie theaters this weekend. The, bo- the box office was really tanked this weekend. I guess there wasn't a big release, but also it's just like Super Bowl mania. I wonder if this Super Bowl, I'm curious to see. Well, we'll talk the following week, but uh, it could potentially break records in terms of viewership. I don't know. Somehow I have a feeling around that. Paul, I'm curious now. If you wish you had an Apple Vision Pro on your flight from L.A. to New York. You know, I, yes, but I, we we flew not the red eye, but the one right before the red eye. So it was like, you know, I try to sleep. I mean, every seat has like a TV in the back, which is pretty much like close to your head. <laughs> but I do want the Vision Pro. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily for a flight, but just like in general, I I, I really want one. Badly, so I think I'm. I just saw. I just saw someone tweet that Vision Pro makes economy and coach significantly better by just wearing it throughout the flight. Okay, which I thought was an interesting, interesting take because it's like, oh, you spend thirty five hundred dollars now. Coach is potentially more tolerable on long, long flights. I've got an Australia trip coming up. I'm going to be on a plane for fifteen and a half hours, and we're not flying business. So I think in, in that like scenario, Division Pro, <laughs> and that doesn't include the flight to LA beforehand to connect. So a Vision Pro would be would be great. So this episode was not about the Vision Pro, but it's hard to escape. And well, actually, our second topic has interfaces with the Vision Pro. And just as an aside, I wanted to do the demo because you know you can sign up for a thirty minute demo at, at an Apple Store, 
And everything was booked until after Valentine's Day. Like it was like oh really booked for ten days at all the Apple stores in LA. Yeah, it was tough. Interesting. Anyway, let's get into it. This week, two big announcements from Disney: one in sports streaming, and another, which will be our second topic, in building out a metaverse. But it's no secret, you know, we talk about sports a lot on this show, in part because I think the appeal of sports and the fact that it's you know depending on who you ask live, unscripted, in the moment, there's this allure that if you don't watch it in real time, you're missing out, right? Because the suspense and figuring out who's going to win or lose, that's really the huge value for sports. And to that point, for the past 25 years, that's what enabled sports to create a huge demand for linear television. And that's what allowed the cable bundle or a big part of what allowed the cable bundle to thrive over the past 25 years. And that's all changing. So sports are very valuable, but the way people consume sports has been shifting and it's been shifting to streaming in part because consumers are cutting the cord. Cable subscriptions are probably down 25, 30, maybe 40% from their peak in the mid 2010s. A lot of people are cutting the cord. They're fed up with the bill and they don't watch enough content. And then tech is getting into it, right? Apple, Amazon, Google, they're all embracing sports and sports have gone streaming. And so there's a major announcement this week that Disney Fox, which is the part of Fox that Disney didn't buy in 2019 and Warner Brothers Discovery are doing a joint venture where they're non-exclusively contributing their live sports content into what will be a sports centric streaming product. So it's going to have content from basically all the linear channels that the three groups control, which is ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, SEC Network, ACC Network, ESPN News, ABC, Fox, FS1, FS2, Big Ten Network, TNT, TBS, True TV, ESPN Plus, including ESPN Plus. So all of that stuff that you would get in your cable subscription will be in an app. They're saying that each of the three companies will own one third of the equity. Yeah. And it's non-exclusive. It will be independently managed. They haven't said what the price is going to be. But for those people who were holding out hope for cable to make a comeback, I mean, it may, but this is a sort of thing that could hasten the demise, right? Because a lot of people only have cable for sports. And if they can get all the sports without paying for cable, we don't know what this thing is going to cost, but you know that may be appealing to them. I mean, we've been waiting for this consolidation for a while. I think as a consumer, we've said it numerous times, it gets extremely frustrating to have so many different things and be switching between different applications and platforms. And I'll just give an example of that today. Uh, this morning, it was one I wanted to watch the uh, Premier League game with Arsenal, and it was like it's on USA today. I have to open up UTV, YouTube TV to get access to that. Now, granted, NBC Peacock is not included in this whole thing, so that uh, doesn't help me. And neither out, CBS, but yeah. it is like nice to know that everything will potentially be in one place. Like who gets affected on the cable side? Because these are still like some of the biggest like conglomerates in the world who are opting in for a better user experience for the consumer. So they're eating into their own businesses, aren't they? They are. I mean, it's a really it's a tough thing to provide a straight answer on that because right, let's just say that in 2012, 2013, there were a hundred million. 115 million cable subscribers nationwide or households. And now there might be 70, 75, yeah. maybe 80, depending. And so some people are just not going to watch cable 
anyway. Like they've moved on, they stream, they are on the internet, they don't watch TV, they don't want to pay the bill. Some people, I don't know what percentage of, of the 80 million or 75 million, they might only have cable for sports. And if that's a sizable chunk, then you could say that those people may cut the cord and say, well, I just want this app that has all the sports channels. And then I'll figure out a way to get CBS and NBC. In that sense, it could be bad. But if you're Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers, Discovery, it's a win-win in the sense that, all right, maybe you hasten the demise of cable, but those people that you lose, they're probably going to be paying for this, which means maybe you get that you get money somewhere yeah, else. Potentially. You get it back. You have more control. Maybe it hurts some of your other non-sports networks because you lose some of the leverage to carry the other stuff, like the Nat Geos and the other non-sports content that they bundle together when they negotiate their deals with cable operators. So that, it could hurt. But the other thing is, it gives them the ability to, I think, be more competitive with the Apples and Googles and Amazons of the world because the rights deals come from the leagues, right? right? Whether it's the NBA, NFL, MLB, to an extent, MLB controls out-of-market, the teams control intermarket, NHL. So the leagues, their deals are, they're long-term. So five, eight, maybe 10 years. And when they are up for negotiation, they're taking all bidders. So if Apple, Amazon, Google, they want to bid for these rights, they can. And so those companies have tons of resources. And if they want to bid for NBA rights, right, if NBA on Apple TV instead of NBA on TNT, if that were the case in a couple of years, then what is the value of TNT? TNT is going to lose some valuable content. What this enables them to do is work together to increase what they might bid, right? Because Disney, Fox, Warner Brothers, they're all going to put it on that streaming product. So I think the devil's in the details. If it's an equity split, how do you attribute you know, the cost. Is it the streaming cost? Is it a cable cost? Is it a network cost? I don't know the details. I haven't seen that, but that's a very complicated thing. But I think there's they're saying there's strength in numbers. Rather than having to compete with all the tech players on an individual basis, they're all kind of working together. And we'll see what the future holds. But I think for consumers, it's a good thing too, right? I mean, I know we say splintering, you know, you get frustrated having to have like 10 different apps. And maybe this will move the pendulum further back to cable, which is like, you know, for all its flaws, it was one place to get everything you wanted to watch. But then you can charge more in one place. And that at that point, like the prices just got so absurd. But now you're spending so many individual amounts. I guess one of the questions I have is that you're looking at like a, a Disney Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery kind of teaming up together to compete with Amazon, to compete with Am- uh, to compete with Apple. I wonder what happens with like a uh, with NBC who's not in in this group. Like NBC and who else is the other one? It's CBS. CBS, CBS. and NBC are not part of it. But and and, and uh, just so people know, CBS is March Madness and Sunday afternoon NFL games, and then NBC is Sunday night football, the Olympics, Premiership League. There's enough time though, right? Where they'll be like, oh, maybe if there's years that these contracts take to renew, they could kind of potentially come into the mix as well. They could kind of see how Peacock does and then maybe they join this group. But if you're the NFL or you're the league, like what are you thinking? Are you worried that you're not going to be able to get top dollar or now it's like, oh, actually there's potential to raise these prices even more because now the Apple and Amazons have a bit more competition. And Google, right? Because remember Google got YouTube YouTube TV, TV, got NFL Sunday ticket. And this is interesting So Rob Manfred is the commissioner of baseball, Major League Baseball. Since they've had 
MLB Advanced Media, bam, they've been cutting edge on the on the forefront of sort of like tech and streaming analytics. And right now they stream out of market games, but they don't have the right to stream in market. So if you're a fan of a team like in your hometown, you have to watch the game. If you want to watch the games digitally, typically you have to get that from your cable provider, not from the MLB. But if you're a fan of a team, let's say I'm a Phillies fan. I grew up in Philly. I moved to LA. I can watch the Phillies out of market through an MLB offering, but not in Philadelphia. Right. So Manfred, he wants to bring all the local digital rights into an MLB product. He wants to do that starting in 2025. That's his goal. Like a direct-to-consumer a direct streaming product by the MLB. By the MLB, right. And so that's his goal. It's wrapped up in the Sinclair bankruptcy and how many teams he has digital rights for in the local market. And so obviously digital rights are a big part of the value for the rights fees that the teams are paying. And I don't think they're going to want to give that up necessarily without a fight or without some sort of compensation. But in any event, he was asked this exact question that you said, you know, is this good for the leagues? And he said it is, right? Because ultimately, you know, it's another well-heeled bidder, right? It's just going to increase right, the right. value of the digital rights to have the three of Now, you could say, well, maybe Disney, Warner Brothers, Fox would otherwise be bidding against each other and now they're all paying one price. But there's still others that are bidding. Yeah, they're competing now against like they. Ha it's almost like they. If it was just them, they'd it'd be a bit more of a control of price thing. Hey, let's join together so our costs are not so high, and like let's get this money in the door. But they still have to compete with the biggest tech platforms in the world. They do right, and and it's weird. Like you wonder where CBS, Paramount Plus slash NBC slash Peacock fit into yeah. this because do all the sports offerings just join forces and offer this one thing to go up against tech, like the traditional legacy media sports assets all go into one product. Is it going to be splintered? I mean, there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of cost sharing. There's a lot of cost benefit analysis you have to do. So I can't see everyone getting on the yeah, same yeah, page. Yeah, sure, sure. But this deal was very innovative. I don't know where this goes. I mean, it seems like the cost of sports is going to keep going up. And the economics behind something like ESPN is very interesting because for a long time, it was like the best business in television. Right. You know, they were making a ton in cable subscription fees. They were charging more and more every year. There are 100 million households paying whatever it was per month. Even if a small fraction of them actually watched ESPN because you needed ESPN to sell cable, right? It was just a, a great business model. And now the... Volume of subscribers is shrinking. Yes, they have ESPN Plus, but I don't know if it's a net-net neutral thing, but the costs for sports are still going up. So if ESPN was going to try to go it alone in the next round of renewals, it would have been a much harder proposition, and they probably would have lost some things like NFL. They're, I mean, right now they, they are all over NFL, college football, college basketball, and those are really valuable properties. The question is, and when those deals expire and they go, they go to renegotiate, you know, do they have the resources to compete with these tech behemoths? But, you know, there's also a different way to slice the rights, right? For example, like maybe Apple's like, well, we really want spatial computing rights. So yeah, we want the exclusive yeah. right to put the games in our headset. Yeah. But you can do linear television or you can do streaming television as long as you can't display it on a headset. And so the, the rights get sliced and diced it's always an auction, so the winner has to be 
overpaying or, or paying the most. And it's a really hard thing to predict. But I mean, I guess that's what makes it interesting as an entertainment lawyer, right? Because like the more these things evolve and the more they splinter, the more complicated the, the deals get and the more moving parts there are. And I guess like if you're the NFL or you're the NBA, you're just watching all these businesses, they've invested billions and billions of dollars into streaming. A lot of them still haven't become profitable. There's a lot of competition. I, I'm sure at some point they thought to themselves, why don't like just like the MLB, why don't we just do this ourselves? But then it's probably like, well, why take on that risk when people are just going to pay us top dollar and we don't have to take any of the risk for it? Or why don't we do it together? Together, right? yeah. Instead of like, it's it's sort of like a middle ground because they could do it themselves. I mean, they've made a, an effort, ESPN Plus, and now you can see Warner Brothers Discovery has been putting sports content in Max for you know about a year, and they're going to eventually make that a premium add-on, right? So right now you can get it for free within your Max, but soon you'll have to pay for it. And all of these things will be able to be bundled with Hulu, Disney Plus, Max in the future. What it does is it enables them to split the cost by a third, yeah. right? Or yeah. in thirds and and maybe share more of the economics. And then license is non-exclusive. So whatever they were currently doing, they can still do. It's just this venture is going to be off to the side, which I think the tricky thing is how do you figure out who's responsible for what cost and how is that all allocated? And, and the question you asked about whether you go it alone, whether you build a product or you work with something that's established, that's actually our next topic. So let's take a quick break and come back with Disney jumping in the metaverse. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, Mesh, this goes all the way back. We discussed this um, in episode six, way back when, when Bob Iger wasn't the CEO of Disney when he had stepped down. We talked about how he got a board seat on Genies, which is a company that makes avatars that are seamlessly integrated within multiple metaverses. Then in episode 214, we talked about how the metaverse was maybe slowing down and that it wasn't a buzzword. A lot of companies that had been throwing money and investing in the metaverse we're starting to scale back, shut down their projects, and AI had become the new buzzword. And, you know, last week we talked about the Vision Pro, maybe that headset, although it's a spatial computing headset, it's not necessarily AR marketed as AR, VR, or a metaverse headset, but it's a step closer. And if it gets us to the mainstream, if everyone or more people, a critical mass of people are using headsets to interact with content, that's a step closer to, you know, widespread adoption of a metaverse. And now this week, Disney announced a very slick deal where they're putting $1.5 billion into Epic yep. Games, the maker of Fortnite, to build out Disney IP in, in Fortnite. 
to have a metaverse in theory, right? It's like a place where you can play, yeah. shop, exist, hang out, watch stuff, and it'll be Disney branded, Disney IP, but Disney doesn't have to build it. Yes. This feels very, very like old school Bob Iger. I mean, from a brand perspective, just, you know, we've talked about Epic before, but yes, Epic, long history of making games. Fortnite became the really, really big game for them where a bunch of people around the world, you have like, what? over 350 million yeah it's like the numbers are anywhere from like it's like 150 to 200 million people per month and then over 350 million registered i think half a billion registered over time i mean like i'm one of those half a billion registered that doesn't play that actively but we're talking about a game that makes billions of dollars a year and the most popular game in fortnite is called battle royale where you're in these worlds they call them maps and the maps you play, you know, they have all sorts of interesting like brand deals and partnerships. Obviously, we, uh, there's Fortnite Creative where you take those maps and you have a concert in it with the Travis Scott one. But the thing is that this is all run by um, Epic's Unreal Engine. It's their tech that allows these worlds to be built. And so uh, Epic is really going for the Roblox model, which is like, yes, they have one really, really popular game, but anyone can really use the Unreal Engine to start building these maps and these worlds and use their tools to do it. It's so smart. It's, it's yeah, incredible. And the royalty. Yeah. And it just, it just took them a little time to get going because, like, you know, we saw a few things here and there. And Roblox is, that's like Roblox's whole model. It's like build, build games, developers build games with their model, but Epic's Unreal Engine. Like people use it quite a bit and Disney's been using it for a while. And so this partnership really is just like, a, yeah, we're betting on Epic and the future of Epic and the Unreal Engine. And they're going to basically help us build our, to your point, Paul, our metaverse. I love this deal for a lot of reasons. But the main one is, like you said, old school Bob Iger. So when he came back and took over after Bob Chapek was was let go, he said that he had a you know closed door meeting with the head of games, the head of Disney experiences, and was like, how do we grow? And they said, well, the millennials, Gen Z, Gen A, they're all playing Fortnite. They're all existing in these digital worlds. We're not there. How do we get there? And so if you can't beat them, join them. I know it's a, it's a saying that's often overused, but this is really where it makes a lot of sense as a licensor because... If you're looking at, you have option A, you know, we could either try to build our own metaverse and make something that's probably not going to be as successful as Epic and is going to take a while to grow. Maybe it can be the next Fortnite, but what are the odds? Or we could just take our IP, let it exist within this world, have some control over how it's incorporated. And then all of a sudden we have, like you said, between 150 million active yeah. monthly users, maybe 300 million logins that however many of them are Disney fans, like, boom, they can exist in the world right away. We don't have to start from scratch and take on all that expense. And then maybe there's people that don't play Fortnite, but love Disney or That's, love Marvel that was exactly, love the Avengers. Exactly. And like, I'll create a login. Uh, and then boom, like maybe it's another way you sell them merch. In addition to digital goods, you can sell them physical goods. Like, yeah. oh, you walk into this Avengers store, you can buy a t-shirt, you can buy a backpack. You can buy whatever without having to fly to a theme park or walk to a Disney store. You're in their living room. And so it's really slick from that. And, and and I think the fact that they're more of a licensor than they are a developer owner gives them much less exposure on the cost side and the cost going out of control. Yeah. And 
less upside, but they have 10% of Epic now. Yeah, but this goes back to like Iger cutting costs down. Don't have to take the huge risk. And he, they already did this before, right? So Disney is a leading game licensor, to your point. Marvel Spider-Man, which is the best-selling superhero game of all time that came out on the PS5. And then recently, Marvel Spider-Man 2, which was the sequel to that game. Both have performed extremely well. I read that Disney mobile games have over 1.5 billion global installs and nine Disney games have each grossed over 1 billion in sales. And I think that you said this, you already have like 150 to 200 million people playing Fortnite on a, on a monthly basis. They've already done like stuff with Marvel. They've already done stuff, brand deals with Nike and Valenciaga and the NFL to sell cosmetics. They know how their their the model works really well. But now it's like, what ends if you want to play? You know, what ends if you're like what like you want to see Elsa and the whole Frozen group and maybe it's like an immersed experience and that and so there's a whole area to be able to capture there there's all sorts of things that you could do within Star Wars and Marvel and Disney's already been working with Epic with the Unreal Engine so the Unreal Engine think about it as just what powers essentially like 3D video. 3D video and so they use it in their parks for like the Millennium Falcon ride is powered by the Unreal Engine Smuggler's Run yeah we did Smuggler's Run I think these deals, as you said, the Unreal Engine has taken off for Epic and it's enabled Fortnite success, but they make it available to any other developer that wants to use yeah. it. You know, there's a royalty and it's been used across film and TV because it's great technology and now it's seamless. And so Disney's familiar with it. So these deals are incredibly complicated. I got to imagine. You know, when you're taking a company like Disney with its storied history and its brand and its intellectual property, and then you have Epic, which is a private company, you know, 40% owned by Tencent, yep. 10% owned by Disney, but the rest is owned by the founder. And they're a successful business. They have done a lot of brand integrations. They don't have necessarily anything to lose yeah. by doing this deal, but they don't want to give up too much. And there's so many issues around control, approval rights, branding, IP, ownership, what's exclusive, what can users do? Like user-generated content's a big thing in Fortnite, And so I don't, Disney necessarily isn't the biggest fan of that. So how do they put controls and guardrails around that? How do you share data? And then the economic side of it, like Disney put in a 1.5 billion, but are they going to get a royalty? Is it just part of their overall ownership structure? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so lot. many complicated things wow. in a deal like this, but the fact that they have a working relationship, that they've done skins, that they've done takeovers, that they've promoted Marvel movies in the past, that they're already using the Unreal Engine, they're not starting from scratch in terms of how they did this deal. They have a working relationship with each other. And, you know, their IP lawyers have been talking. Obviously, a lot of this stuff doesn't happen overnight. But clearly, when Iger came back, he was like, we need to be in this area. Yeah. And I don't want to cover, I don't want to build it from scratch because that's going to be enormously expensive. Yes. Let's find an industry leader that meets our brand standards and let's work with them. Yeah, and also think of from, from Epic's point of view, you have a few different engines that are out there and it's not that like a ton of games are like, yes, there's a ton of games, but in the gaming world, the Unreal Engine, you know, it makes about, I, I think uh, according to 2023 estimates, it was, it, it did about 275 million in revenue, like the their, that engine side of the business. Now that's a lot of money, but in general, Fortnite does like billions of dollars a year. And so for them, this is like one of those, hey, what a great collaboration, because now all the games that are going to be made, one of the biggest like gaming 
um, licensors in the world is being made by Unreal, which not only will be like, okay, incredible, they have all these properties to work with, and they now have $1.5 billion of, um, of, of, of an investment from Disney as well. Um, and so I don't know, th this is the type of stuff that gets me like, I, this is something I, I, I'm now kind of entered this gaming space and I'm fascinated by these models and how, you know, the incredible businesses the, these people have created. And I was also reading like this was the same week that Disney, it was during the earnings call, Disney had also gotten the rights for Taylor Swift's Eras tour on Disney Plus. And it, immediately my brain went to like, what would like a Taylor Swift like potential concert look like in a Unreal Engine type produced there. I mean, it depends. I think they may have only gotten the actual film. They may not have gotten the right to make adaptations. No, no, I know, I know, I, I know. know. Yeah, I was saying, yeah. where, where would that go, like, later down the road? Well, that's the thing. That's the difference if you own the property versus if you're licensing, you know, a specific iteration of it, right? Like, if you own Iron Man versus if you have a license to the movie, if you own Iron Man, he can pop up wherever, yeah. right? But if you have a license to the movie, then you can show it on on Disney Plus or or whatever it is. I think the thing about this that is really interesting is they can all go create stuff and and see what happens, see what sticks, and they're not taking on all the risk of building something. And licensing versus owning, I mean, that's a cost benefit, right? Like in the beginning, Marvel only licensed uh, their movies. So you think of like the Spider-Man movies, Blade yeah. movie, the X-Men yeah. movies, they were all licensed. Then Marvel's like, hey, there's too much money in this. We can do this just as well. Let's get all the upside. Let's make the movies. And they did. And that was a great home run for them. Other companies you see with streaming because the cost is so high and subscriber acquisition and churn, it maybe makes sense to just be a licensor than to own a platform. And we're seeing that. And, and in the beginning, you know, it makes sense to just explore a business area by licensing, keeping your costs down. And then if it's really grows beyond your wildest dreams, then maybe you decide to take take the plunge and, and cover the cost and own it yourself. But this is a good way to enter. It's a great way to enter. And it's a it's a really cool deal. And again, I know we're both fans of Iger. So it, it's nice to see him do a deal. Like it's been a while since we've seen like you know, something like the Pixar deal or something like Star Wars or something like Marvel. And this feels also on brand. Like Epic feels on brand for them. The way Fortnite has kind of taken the world by storm. It's got its own look and feel. It's got its own, um, you know, pretty incredible brand and it's got great brand awareness. And it feels like it fits into the Disney universe here. I mean, I work on these sorts of tech content joint ventures and they're incredibly complicated. So kudos to them for getting this done. I'm very excited to see what happens. Okay, let's take a quick break and end with our final topic, which is the IATSE impending strike. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Okay, so, you know, strikes are us over here. So, <laughs> Mesh, last summer we talked about the SAG and WGA striking against the AMPTP. Typically, 
in the film and entertainment industry, these unions collectively bargain for agreements with the producers of content, the AMPTP, for terms of three years. So we talked about SAG, the, the Actors Union, WGA, the Writers Union, DGA, the Directors Union. IATSE, we did talk about briefly, they're the below the line crew union. They represent what is considered like the laborers, but it could be any number of things, makeup, wardrobe, grips, trucking, catering, tons of different things, lighting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some Grip. directors like production design. So there's a lot of quote unquote less glamorous roles that are done by below the line crew. And they're very important to, you know, experienced crew is, is a- a- integral to success, but they don't often get the same shine of above the line, like the actors and the writers and directors. And so their deal is up in July 31st, 2024. And they've announced, the leadership has announced that they're not looking to extend. So the negotiations start March 4th. And if they don't get what they want, they're going to strike. That's what they're saying. I mean, I guess that's a logical position to take at this point. It could be posturing or whatever, but they're saying, hey, we're not going to lay down. We, we want what we want. You know, we've been in an inflationary environment. And so all these things, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, when inflation is seven or eight percent or whatever it was over the past couple of years, over the course of a three year deal, whatever minimums you negotiate for compensation or, you know, your fringe benefits, they don't go as far as they did three years ago. So, of course, people are frustrated. There's an intense cost pressure. My thing is. For the writers and actors, a big concern was AI. And I don't know that AI is as much of a concern for crew as much as it is relocating. And so the more you drive the cost up, the more incentive or the the more likely, I think, a a producer would be to go make something in Canada, go make it in Europe or go make it overseas. Because, you know, that, that I think is the concern. I'm not saying people shouldn't fight to get paid what they're worth. And, you know, I've seen it firsthand. Like the the conditions are are very, well, the days can be very long. Yeah. But, you know, when I was working at Marvel and I, the few days I was on set, I wasn't often on set. But when I was, I never ate better. Um, <laughs> craft services crafty, apparently is amazing. Yeah, it's like a five-star, you know, buffet catered thing every day. You know, like the food was great. The conditions, I mean, seemed pretty good to me. But that's just, you know, I I don't do it for a living and maybe Marvel's a different animal. But I know people are working really hard. There's a lot of complaints about not getting enough rest, not getting meal penalties, working too many consecutive days. Uh, So hopefully they can get what they want without driving the business elsewhere. I think you hit it right. There is a balance between how these things work. Uh, I think less about the the increase in money, but more about not working people to the bone, you know, and like having some protection around that. But yeah, I think in any industry right now, everyone is looking for alternate ways to do it at a lower cost. Like that is just naturally what's happening across industries right now. You know, just in comparison, like we're seeing that in engineering right now and, and tech in, in the US, like a lot of people are looking offshore to just bring their costs down because things are still expensive to make. And so I don't see why it would change anywhere, especially in production, when we can very much see that there are some headwinds when it comes to production and budgets and, you know, people like the Netflixes, et cetera, of the world not spending as much money right now. So timing is interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, so crew, like I said, it's it's a very important function and the people 
in LA and in the sort of centers where the content has been made for, you know, decades and decades, there's a lot of talented people there. And so the trade-off, or at least the, to make the cruise, the, the guild's point is like, you could go to some city that doesn't have an established industry for this, but you're not going to find quality people. Yeah. Right. So maybe you yeah, go, sure. that takes time, right? It took a long time, maybe a couple decades for Atlanta to become a production hub uh, because of the Georgia tax credit. And now there's really talented people there. But if you go to some city without established crew, um, you're either going to transport a bunch of people or going to have a hard time finding the equipment you need, the lighting you need, yeah. the grip. The it electric, could end up costing you more stuff. money. Um, it can. But if you push it too hard, then these industries will develop. Yes. And, you know, it's not that expensive. I mean, it is somewhat expensive, but it's not that expensive to fly, you know, a, a dozen of your key talent actors and maybe your director overseas and do a couple shots. But the real hard part is balancing everything. And people, studios want to work with the established production companies and crew and talent that they've used historically. I don't think they want to break those relationships and find new geographies. But as you said, the constant pressure is to make it for less yes. or make the same content and then not have the budget spiral out of control. And so that's the, that's the dance. You don't want to, and I think another long strike will probably end up like no one's going to win from that. Yeah, I mean, it just reminded me of um, the 90s X-Men show was a great show. And then they we talked about this before on the show where they went cheap on art design. They moved everything to Korea. And they moved everything to Korea. And like, you could tell <laughs> that something was different. And it definitely took away from the quality. Of, and like, it, it definitely went off the cliff from that point on. And so, yeah, there is a balance. I mean, obviously, you want talented people. You want to pe- pay people what they're worth. But, you know, budgets are budgets. For sure. Well, we'll keep you posted. Like I said, negotiations start in March. And the deal doesn't expire until the end of July. But my hope is that we can avoid a strike. Well, good breakdown as always, Paul. This one was a fun episode. Excited to keep track on all three of the things that we talked about this week. So hope everyone has a great week. That's our show for this week. Make sure you're subscribed on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, at Better Call Paul, the podcast. Follow me on X, at Mashlikani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.